Okay, so we're now recording. Good to go. How's everybody out there doing today? Um, we still have a few guest viewers left over. Um, we we did a new we started a new login process, which will, which will probably eventually happen. I think some folks probably um, have leftover cookies or whatever that causes the guest viewer gotcha. uh, type thing. But um, uh, yeah, and then uh, Donald's here. Donald, is your microphone working? Is he? Uh, hopefully, everything's working well. Is it, work, is it good now? Oh, is yeah. it good? Perfect. Testing one, two. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I mean, uh, let's just get straight to our uh, main topic of the day. Uh, we, um, I was on vacation for the past couple of days, and I wasn't able to get down to the Metro Cup. And it sounds like Vin, uh, it sounds like Vin also couldn't make it. I couldn't. I had things come up very suddenly, and it was a, a sad time for me. So, um, I, but you know, I have to, you know, I have to say, like it was, it was made even sadder because uh, Jim McGilvery, who was one of the judges for the event, um, posted on Facebook. It was probably one of the best Peabrock contests he's ever heard. So, wow. The wheat here welled up in my eye. So, Donald, I mean, you were there and you were involved. I mean, um, and, and it was kind of, uh, we're hoping maybe you could give us a little recap of how things went and, you know, a little flavor of uh, what went down at the Metro Cup. Yeah, was it sure. really the best Pebra contest you, you've won would ever hear? That's I think so. A lot from Jim McGillery. I think so. Uh, we both, uh, three of us, Mike Rogers and Jim and I, just kind of stared at one another with our jaws sort of slack and thought, you know, I, I, I think Jim might have brought, brought it up. I, I asked Jim this question. I said, have you ever heard a better Peter contest in North America? And there was a kind of a long pause. And he said, well, I don't think I've heard a better one in Scotland. And when you think of 16 people, most of them were either silver, gold, or class winners, mm -hmm. given at their best. They're all in good form. Nobody was in bad form. Um, and they're the top names in piping, with w missing one or two of the top names. But, um, man, they went all out, and we just uh, were dumbstruck at the quality. And this was a strange thing. There, was, there were actually seven places in the contest, and some of the biggest names in piping couldn't get into the list. Think about that one for a minute. Yeah. It's pretty good. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been, you know, the years I've gone, I've recorded the Peabrock contests, and I, and, and I sort of clean them up, and I put them in my personal library, and they're my, some of my favorite tracks as far, sure. as, as, far as Peabrock goes, you know. There, there's sure. always, always good tunes that come out yep. of that contest. Yep. Well, it was, it was uh, pretty amazing, and, you know, if you think of some of the logistics behind it, um, we all sc scratch our heads and think, how can we raise money to fly people over, how can we put up prize money that makes people say, you know what, this is such a major endeavor, I'm going to drop what I'm doing, and I'm going uh, from Scotland or Canada or or uh, remote, somewhat remote parts of the states on occasion, and uh, it's incredible that, that this happens. And of course, Eric Stein is the guy that makes it happen 
with the support and cooperation of a whole lot of businesses and uh, educational groups and pipe bands. And pipe bands, yeah. I mean, the pipe bands are a key component because a lot of times um, a lot of these guys are doing workshops and doing teaching uh, in the days leading up to the Metro Cup and after. And so they do a lot of, uh, it gets a lot of that pipe band sponsorship for a lot of the flights and, and other expenses for some of these players, and, uh, okay. which you know, it also is, is a boon to, the, to to Eastern piping too, because inevitably there's a recitals and little mini concerts and things like that that take place all along the way, and it's uh, it's a, it's a real you know sort of real treat to hear these guys play when they're not competing, you know, and yep. which is something that most people will never see. Um, yep. And it, it's it is really a lot of fun. Well, I, I, yep. Sorry, you mentioned something uh, to me on Monday night that I think was interesting. Do you think one of the reasons that the, the caliber of play was so high over the weekend was that they had, uh, I think you said about 10 days that they knew what tune they were playing? Do you think oh, that's, that's a, a good thing uh, to, yes. to do to raise the level? Yes. Not only um, that, they, they knew a good week in advance the order of play as well. Yep. So yep. they knew where they were going to be in the list, and uh, they knew how much time they might have to prepare yep. and such. Yep. Um, you know, part, part of the, the, the legendary challenge of playing at places like Oban Verness is that you have to prepare a, a substantial list of tunes, sometimes tunes that are brand new to you that year. Um, and it's like the shotgun starts for pipe bands, you know. Uh, when I last played at Oban Inverness, we got the tune when we stepped into the final tuning room. So we had our list, and the steward said, oh, your tune will be whatever, and, and that was that. that was, so, that's been my experience, too. For sure. the, the final tuning room uh, is, so you get 10 minutes to prepare the tune that they've picked. Get, get your mindset going for that tune, and and if indeed the tune is focused on certain intervals, such as high G, for example, uh, you've got 10 minutes to make sure that high G is where it's supposed to be. And um, mm -hmm. I have had the occasion of playing for the silver medal when some there were no high Gs in the tune at all, and I've just pulled the tape right off the high G completely and made sure I played no high Gs when I was tuning up, and the result was the G grace note came out loud and clear. And uh, I actually won, uh, I don't know, it was fourth the first time out playing like that. Um, Donald, the other thing, yep. one of the things to mention, too, is at the Nickel Brown, um, the, the tunes are given the night before, which I think is interesting. And so, I mean, would, would it be fair to say you are a believer in a little bit more time to prepare the tune that's selected? Well, again, let, let me put it this way. Um, the task is harder when you have short notice to settle in on the one of the four or six or eight tunes that you have to prepare. Bremar, it's eight. Um, Bremar, you get them when you walk up to the bench. You've got eight rolling, and one of those eight will get played when you go up to the bench. Now, this, this is a harder task. It, it, it pushes people to practice harder, study harder, and be... If they're going to be competitive, they better be really well prepared. So the easier we make the task, yes, people perhaps can start to achieve very high levels with their performances. That's not a small item. That's 
a big deal, but in a way, let me, here's another little comparison. I remembered Alan McLeod telling me about the, the times that he played for the CLASP outside in Inverness. And if anyone has seen a picture of Donald McLeod or maybe met him, you'd realize that he's a very, he was a very vertically challenged individual. He was, that's, that's why they called him Wee Donald. And of course, one of the most charming individuals you could ever meet in your lifetime and a wonderful player. But he spoke of playing in the class Inverness, facing the wind and rain and leading with his whole body weight to not be blown off the platform. And I think that's one of the times he won the clasp in those conditions. Now imagine us asking our professionals to do that nowadays. You would yeah. you would need a lot of cheese if that was going to happen to match all the whining that would be going on when that occurred. So I don't know. This I suppose part of the making the contest challenging and difficult is a sort of a sports frame of mind. Yeah, it's, it becomes you know? more an athletic endeavor than it is a sort of a creative musical one, you know. Right, right. Uh, and yet, people like Donald McPherson were able to deal with that and still produce tunes that inspired people for the rest of their lives. So, I, I don't know if there's a simple answer. I don't know if... But, <clears throat> I, as a player... Pardon? Uh, I, well, Rob, Rob made a fascinating comment here. Imagine a Super Bowl where you find out your opponent as you step on the field. <laughs> well, yes, because there's a lot of strategizing in sports to prepare for a particular team that you're going to face. Um, yeah, well, I think it's true. important, to, you know, it's important to know, like, you know, if, you, if there are things you can do to, to sort of, like you said, make it easier or at least m ensure that everyone can put forward their best performance, you know, as best as it can be, you know. I think that's what, those are good things, you know. Yeah, I, I the prep has to happen anyway. Um, really, I mean, you do. I mean, you can still submit numbers of tunes and things like that. But if you can make it, leverage it so everybody's able to produce that excellent performance, then why not? Like, how could it hurt anything? <laughs> Especially at that level. Uh, you know? I think you're right about that, Ben. And I, I, uh, my own experience has been that I have really appreciated getting a little bit of a heads up on a big list. And being able to focus and narrow it down, and I think it does help produce a very good tune. I think so, it's an important you know, thing there for for the Metro Cup because that's a largely uh, uh, performance-based venue, and that a lot of people go there just to listen. So, yeah. giving that that extra time and the ability to to really raise the bar at the quality of music, I think it was a really smart choice um, on the part of the Metro Cup because it's you know for the listeners for a, a big degree that's absolutely true it is for, the listeners. for years too i mean before there was a pibrock contest i mean the medley is still you know competitors submit their own tunes it's not like there's anything chosen they don't have to play anything particular um they just play for i think the limit's seven minutes or something like that but uh, it's essentially whatever you want to play you know so, which gives well, them I, a lot of leeway to prepare things that are enjoyable for them as well as the audience you know the, I, I hope we do get a chance to chat about the light music. The light music is going through evolution at the Metro Cup, and I would love very much for us to have a moment to speak about it. But, let's let's um, speak about it. Well, okay. I, well, let me conclude some thoughts on the Pete Rock, and I'll simply say this. 
that organizers deserve huge amount of credit for enticing 16 of the world's best players to come and play. And the players, I did not see one person come forward who wasn't giving it everything they had in regard to trying to produce the best possible performance on the best possible instrument. All the tunes were well-researched. There was nobody wandering around trying to figure out what to play. They all knew exactly what they wanted to play and how they wanted to play it. And the level of knowledge that was exhibited by the performers was astounding. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you I go to contests. Too, it's really demanding from, of a listener, too, when you're listening. It's not just a simple, oh, let's hear some P-Brox. <laughs> you, know, you really well, have to turn on your brain and, and your ears and really sort of get into it, you know. Uh, much credit goes to the whole event and the organizers for what they've, they've managed to achieve. Uh, and there may be some answers in the future to organizers who want to run high-level events that may de derive from what's going on at the Metro Cup. Now, if there's a moment to speak about the light music. I just want to ask a question, Donald, real quick before we move on. What was the average tuning time for Peabrock? It was long. It was a lot long. of people went, most everybody went at least four to five minutes at least, but there were some that probably went close to eight. Yeah. And so it's been two, two suggestions have been coming forward from various folks. One, to put in tuning lights and probably aim for something like I don't know, five to se five to seven minutes. Yeah, it's it's an academic interest I have, and it's just, just because it's like I find it fascinating, and it, and it's, um, I, I love the process, and I love watching these guys do it, you know. And I, for one, yeah, it gets a little tedious, but at the same time, I don't care because as long as when they start up and they start playing, it's it's like as good as it can possibly sound. I'm yes. happy, you know. Yes, yes, and. Um, People were doing very well about producing magnificent sound. The famous Roddy McLeod high A and all those things were present. And uh, Bruce showed up with a, a different set of pipes and they were magnificent. A set of ivory mounted Hendersons from the late 1800s. And those things were incredible. And we heard beautiful instruments. The, the, nobody showed up with a shoddy instrument. And uh, they took the time they needed to get in tune. But it's been suggested that a tuning clock, which is what some people prefer, you can actually watch the seconds tick away and you have an exact understanding of where you stand rather than lights getting switched on you. So that that's one suggestion. The other suggestion is because we started uh, the professional at noon and we finished the, uh, at midnight, 12 hours of judging. Um, it's been suggested that be split into two groups one would be P-Rock, one would be light music. They'd, and we could even stagger them so that maybe, say, the P-Rock would start first and then about an hour later the light music and get everything completed maybe around 7 o'clock at night or something. Because it's, it's a marathon day for everybody. You, you deserve a lot of credit. There's always three judges sitting there all day long. For what, maybe one or two bathroom breaks? <laughs> yeah, there was a, the necessary bathroom breaks, and we actually ate some food. And by yeah. the time we got to midnight, we're we weren't operating at full brain capacity. I don't think. I think if we'd had an IQ test in the morning and another one at night, the scores would have been very low at night. <laughs> After all that, you know, it was getting brutal. But that's another topic for another day. So again, Peabrook, outstanding. Great tunes were played. Light music. Here's 
I loved the days when it was march to spay reel, slow air, hornpipe, and jig. And now we could measure apples against apples and oranges against oranges. And there were, I was present. Uh, of course, one of the legendary players at that event was Bruce Gandy. And I was present when Bruce played the Mason's Apron the first time when he played Norman Gillis's setting of it. It's now old hat. Everyone plays it. But at that time, no one was playing it. And uh, even before we heard Norman playing it. And he just brought the house down with that. And he knew just how to, to wind it up. He would start very subtly. Anymore. It used to be great to hear Bruce. He'd come out and he'd actually play something that no one had ever heard before. You know, well, something that he's been working on or some other arrangement that maybe he played once, one other time. You know, so you were hearing it for the first time, essentially, which is pretty cool. He did some of that on Saturday. But the, my contention is that the format didn't really give him the opportunity to do what he's best at. And I would go further and I would say this, that of the 16 people who played, some of them clearly played to engage the audience, excite the audience, and entertain the audience. And some of those performers had some technical glitches. There were other players who played immaculately. They played classic two-parted, Marshes to spays, reels, jigs, hornpipes, slow airs, and they played impeccably. But the comment that some people said was, wow, that was really good playing, but boy, it was kind of boring. <laughs> so this is what happened to the competitors. They got caught in the crossfire. If they went to excite the audience, they might have had some technical slips doing it. If they went to play the best they could play, it might have been a kind of not that exciting, but very well-played program. And my contention is this, that for this thing to really, I understand what the organizers of the Metro Cup are trying to do, and I applaud them. They're trying to get audience involvement, and they succeeded. I, I wish I could quote numbers to you, but it was something like 100 people were sitting around most of the day listening to the Peabuck, and sometimes it built up to more than 100 people. And when it came to the light music, I can't be certain of this. I know they had 200 audience, but I think they may have been pushing 300. Yeah. Most people sit in the, in the hallway and listen through yeah. the doors. They don't even come in and, uh, yeah. in a standing room in the back, you know. Exactly. Well, it got to that point. Now, that's how many piping competitions do you fellas know that have people for the better part of 12 hours in those numbers? The only one I can think of is the Northern Meeting. Yep, for the March to Spay and Real event. When they have people sitting in the aisles and standing up in the back of the room because they can't seat any more people. I agree with that. But yeah, it's, it's a remarkable. rare... It is it's, remarkable. Yeah. And this is one of the things the organizers are trying to achieve, and they're succeeding. And part of the formula is for the real excitement to occur in the light music. And that's why it's evolved from a more classical presentation of MSR, hornpipe jig, into play whatever you want. And I was told as long as you want. They don't have a time limit right now. Yeah. Here's another thing. Hardly anybody followed the printed program in what they played. Almost everybody was... I know. I produced yeah, that program, so I know. Well, you know that. And so I don't have any problems with that. It's just that uh, the printed 
set was just a sort of a hint at what might be played. And some of the tunes were played that were in the printed set, but a lot of other stuff was dropped out, substituted, you know, and this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, um, Donald, let's address some of these questions. We have two questions for you. Um, let's start with Mary. Uh, given the fact that Metro Cup is a marathon day, do you think there should be a separate set of judges for both pro events? Yes. And I would mean adding one more to the panel. There's already three for the professional. Add one more, split them into two twos, and have one event in one locale, another in another locale, and let people drift back and forth. You know, if they have one favorite player they want to follow, they can follow that player from the Peabrook to the light music when that comes up, because that player will not be playing in two places at the same time. So that mean, that satisfies a lot of needs. And the big thing is it would make it more fun, I think, for everyone to not go on for 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question. What kind of comments do you make uh, for players of that level? Like, so I think the question is, okay, these players are super, super high level. What are, what are some of the feedback that you gave that maybe uh, put certain players ahead of others and vice versa? Okay. Okay. This, this whole thing is a can of worms we're into today. <laughs> and why am I not surprised that a dojo webinar is a can of worms? Um, that's okay. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, remember that when there's a panel of three judges, it's most likely that the lists created by the three judges will not be the same. In fact, it's highly unlikely that two of those judges will have the same list. And, and it's also an, a given that this will become a deliberation and finally a list will emerge. And that's exactly what did happen. It happened in the P-Ruck and it happened in the light music. Now, you want to toss a worm at us? What, did, you, did you have the list that matched uh, the final listing or who did you have at the top? Who was your uh, my, I can only give you my name, my rank, and my serial number at this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it would be violating the code of judges to, to throw some judge under the bus. We're not supposed to do that, so I'm not going to do it. But what I will say is, you could you could at least you don't have to name names. You could say so there was, was a, a standout for you that like that tune wise and or you know playing. I don't know just something. I like where Vince is going. I don't like where Andrew Douglas is going on this. <laughs> I'm coming back on that. Um, so bottom line goes something like this: we more or less were pretty close on the first three. We didn't have them in the same order, but we agreed that of the 16 players, those three should be near the top. And then we debated the pros and cons. Now, that's the advantage of a three-person panel. What one person may not take in, another one does take in. I'm not talking about negative. I'm talking about positive. So a lot of the debate went on about, well, but I thought such and such a player really had these qualities in a, above and beyond the others. So that means that that player, whoever that player was, got a lot of attention for their performance, and they were given credit for when they really, there were things that, that were brought into prominence in the discussion. And that's how we came up with our seven players. And yes, five, six, and seven were the toughest positions to try to resolve. 
And something that was mildly shocking about the whole thing was some of the biggest names in piping were struggling to get into that seven list. That was a shocker. You'd give it, it'd be a given that certain people would, oh, of course, not necessarily so. Yeah. We actually had a little, I, I can reveal this. I, at the beginning of the discussion, I said, gentlemen, let's remain friends. I didn't want us. I didn't want us to walk out of there way to kill one another. Yeah, let's remain friends. I'm trying to mischievously. I'm trying to mischievously interpret what Donald's saying and put uh, words in his mouth. So what Donald is saying is, he had a radical idea about what the list should have been, and then he had to. He struggled to defend himself against uh, Jimmy Dovey and Mike Rogers. Is that what's going on here? Oh, 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 oh. oh. Acquiesce to that statement as long as you make it this way. All three of us had radical ideas as to who should be where. The only thing we really agreed on was probably the top three or four. We agreed they should be in the top three or four, but the sequence of those three or four was a big uh, process. <laughs> now we're talking about the light music. So anyway, and end result was it was quite a privilege to hear that Peabrook contest. It was so darn good. It was really incredibly good. And and we had performance after performance where people were going right over the top, well beyond the, the average that one might expect. Uh, and and uh, it was a great variety of tunes. And I'm the guilty party that pushed for two people to play Old Men of the Shells. Which which I might add was a repeat from last year. I think, uh, was it so I think it may have been, I forget who it was, but also played Elemental of the Shows last year. So. Yeah, well, we, I'm going to spring to your defense here, Donald. I'm going to say Old Men of the Shells is easily one of the top five melodies in any form of music of all time. Oh, I'm not gonna I agree it. with that. I agree. More than once. And so Roddy McLeod got to play it, and Andrew Hayes from Ottawa got to play it, and they both played extremely well, and they both had very different approaches. And uh, Roddy, it was like, it was as if Yoda was going to play Old Men of the Shells. Oh it was so composed. It was so uh, deep. Uh, deep is a good word to use. And so completely composed. And um, uh, when Andrew played, it was more like Luke Skywalker playing it. It was like, it was really heads up, forward moving, very bright, very lively, very crisp. Both were excellent interpretations. Uh, so that's what I was hoping for when uh, I said, let's have another old man of the shelves. Uh, picture's freaking out. What's going on, boys? Oh, these are the results. Okay. Well, light music. This is my humble suggestion. And this is a, a word of advice to competitors um, insofar as they can have any control over these things. And certainly judges who are going to be listening to competitors. There needs to be established a fairly clear criteria as to how the event is going to be ranked. And if there are opposing criteria at work, look out, because that's going to, someone's going to get caught in the crossfire. Uh, yeah. What I felt, and I think the other judges would agree with me, is that what a great idea to have a light music event to excite an audience and bring in an audience. And Eric Stein and the Metro Cup succeeded in doing that. 
The problem for the players is mixed messages. Am I supposed to go and play immaculately, or should I maybe go out on the edge more and play to excite the audience? And those two goals are in opposition of each other. They are not in support of each other. So it means that there's two opposing criteria being applied to making the result. Yeah. That's my concern. I actually enjoy that that component of it. You know, I think some of these, especially some of the top names, I, you know, that I've talked to, you know, actually like that. <laughs> you know, they don't. It's yeah. where they don't really know, and it's kind of an added sort of feature of the contest where they're not going into you know the clasp or the silver star or something like that knowing exactly how they need to play you know they well, i agree with that i agree with that and these players are so strong as players that they can do all kinds of things like they can be establishing a program in their mind and partway through in the performance say, no, i'm going to drop that i'm going to slip this one and i haven't played that for a couple of years and it'll be impeccable they can do that. That's how powerful their piping skills are. We're not talking about, you know, people who've got to practice the same eight tunes for six months before they can play them in public. And uh, so they're pretty sharp that way. So, yeah, there's spontaneity, all right. But some of the best technical performances were just that. They were fantastic technical performances, and they're not in the prize list. And some of the most exciting for the audience were just that they were really exciting but they're not in the prize list because somehow we had to balance spontaneity with top level piping and if there was a choke god forbid there was a choke or if there was a misgrace note that was a black mark against the performance unless the criteria changed if the criteria was you know what kind of an impact can you make on the audience then it might have been a different result and if the criteria was, let's see how accurately, musically, and perfectly you can play what you present, then the result would have been different for the one you're looking at now. Yeah. So we had to do both. That was tough. But, you know, in summation, it's a phenomenal event. It deserves tons of credit. Um, there were classes run on Friday and Sunday. I got to teach a fever class on Sunday. I enjoyed it thoroughly. But everyone there, the, as far as I could see, all the competitors, or most of them, were teaching classes on Friday and Sunday. And uh, as far as I can understand, most or all of the judging panel was, was doing classes also. Um, so that was a pretty neat, neat use of the whole thing. Plus... There was an executive committee meeting uh, for the USPBA. So it's without question, it's the East Coast winter meet. That's it, the Metro Cup. Yeah, well, Eric coined the term pipuary, <laughs> you know, because it's like two, two <laughs> three of solid bagpiping, you know, everywhere in the yeah, pretty much. He was He was complaining of withdrawal at the end of it all. It's like he needed to hear more piping and everyone had gotten on a plane and gone home. But they're having Derek Mitchell do a recital tonight, I think. Uh, Derek was in good form. He made good good representation for the U.S. Uh, he held his own for sure. And uh, I'm trying to remember. He played... Uh, what did he play? I'm trying to remember what he played. 
It's this very second, I can't think of the tune that he played, but he played well. Ebrook? Uh, he played uh, Dougal's Gathering. That's correct, and it was a very good rendition of that, too. Really good rendition. Yeah. So it was quite a quite a nice experience. It's just it's so long, you know. I'd recommend you bring one of those inflatable mattresses when you come in to listen, and maybe enough food to last, you know, for a day or two. It's definitely. It's well, definitely you can get those. Um, the inflatable ones have cup holders now too. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they have. Like, I'm gonna do that next year. That's cool. I like that idea. Yeah, and if they've got pint holders, they're even better. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, the 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 last two questions here are it very interesting. So Jay has never been to a competition before, and he's sort of uh, asking. So, um, it, you know. So there's a balance there, and, and that's definitely true. So, you know, to play technically perfect usually requires, like, you know, a high degree of conservatism in your presentation. And the more exciting and, uh, you know, rousing you try to make it, you know, you have to take more risks. You have to crank the tempo a little bit. Um, you know, you have to make your, your embellishments a little bit more complicated. So, so yeah, the question is, and that's the big thing, is, you know, um, what are the competitors going for? And then Sean sort of adds, you know, the same consideration that all competitors have really, you know, are you focused on expressing yourself and making the best music or do you take uh, a more conservative, uh, calculated, competitive approach? You know, um, I've always been the former, you know, I, I always go up there and uh, I take the risks and hope that, uh, you know, and hope that the natural byproduct is a prize. But what are your thoughts on that, Donald? Well, those are two fantastically good questions. They are so right on, it's a little scary. Um, that's the essence of the whole thing. And here's how I'm going to respond to those questions. Um, in the past, Bruce Gandy probably has had more wins at the Metro Cup than anybody. And no small part of that was his light music performances. And certainly when he had those wins, you couldn't ask for much more mastery of both the technical, musical, artistic, and entertainment side of his performance. And this is my take on, on some of the past performances of Bruce Gandy. I remember him playing, for example, a tune like Arthur Bignold. The format was March to Spay Real. I think it might have at times been slow air. I think it but yeah, definitely, while it was definitely standardized that way. It was more MSR and hornpipe jig or something. Right, but here's the point, and I think a lot of people might not realize this, but he used that medium and he turned the lights on when he did it. He would play a conservative tempo in a well-phrased tune like Arthur Bignold. I can't think off the top of my head of what Strespezi used to play. It could have been maybe, say, possibly Shepherd's Crook or something like that. And then he might move into something like, uh, oh, perhaps John Morrison of Essent House, and then perhaps a really tasty air, maybe from the, the maritime provinces or something of that nature. And then when he got to this, I distinctly remember him playing uh, two things. I remember him playing um, the, the Norman Gillis's X number of parts of Mason's apron, 10 parts or whatever it is, and he would just crank it up, and it it was almost like um, a musical uh, explosion that would occur in terms of the intensity.
be increasing, increasing, increasing. And uh, somewhere in there, he'd maybe have something like the snuff wife or something of that nature. And another one was the drunken landlady, He would play, the way he'd play that. But Bruce took the existing medium and turned it on. And, you know, a lot of the punters in the audience probably don't play music at that level. They probably play mostly band stuff. And they were as happy as they could be to hear him doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, here's where I'm going with this. A true top-notch piper. And Alistair Gillis was, the late Alistair Gillis was another one. Alistair knew how to turn it on. He could play that format, and when he finished off with one of Andrew's tunes that he hates, the Shaggy Gray Buck, you hate that, right, Andrew? No, just hold on a second. I just saw a glorious rendition of the Shaggy Gray Buck on Dojo University. All right, thank you. Then we're okay with that. We're okay with that. Well, I mean, but, so, um, you know, Alistair... <laughs> Alistair would go into the Shaggy Gray Buck, and people were, people were passed out to the end of that thing. He was so powerful. I remember the first year he was there, he played that. It was like, it was amazing. It was like, you know. So I'm going to make a radical statement now to really upset some people, because I know you love that radical stuff, Andrew. Let, let it pour out. See, I want it to be known. I want it to be known that, you know, uh, it's, it's the guest's own choice to be radical. There's no peer pressure <laughs> If I thought of the best performance in light music on Saturday, there was nothing that could touch those performances I just spoke of. And those performances came out of a structured format, and it was up to the artist Piper mm-hmm. to infuse those with life. And guess what? In the past, not to single out only a few, but a few that come to mind are Bruce Gandy on several occasions, Alistair Gillis on quite a few occasions, and also Gordon Walker on several occasions. They could work within that format, and in my humble opinion, they achieved greater heights than lots of choppy joinings up of little tunes. Mm-hmm. I love little tunes. No one loves them more than me. But there was a, some kind of a deep power in this march to Strasbay to real, eventually, hornpipe and jig progression in the right hands with the right player that topped, in my opinion, even the best performances of last Saturday. Yeah, now I think, I think there's a definite elephant in the room here, though, Donald, that, that to me, you know, it, it's been sitting here, it's been sitting here for a while now, and we haven't addressed the elephant in the room, which is, at the end of the day, there's one name that clearly sits atop both of these lists. Well, yeah, I think you I know, know who you're talking uh, about. Which is which is Angus. Like Angus yeah. seems to yeah. be one of the true masters of what you are speaking to, and and I think yeah, that too. Stu, and Stu Little's getting there as himself in that in that vein as well. I oh think. yeah, I think he wasn't at the event. No, he wasn't think. there. No, Stu wasn't at the event. But he's done similar things where he's able to to weave in and out of that both of those kinds of uh, you know presentations. You know. Where you have I to, agree uh, with yeah. the recognition of that elephant, and you're absolutely right, Andrew. And Angus McCall is a wizard when it comes to performing for audiences. Part of the reason is, I believe, he does that very frequently. Probably no less than maybe once a week, but I think he's doing more than that. I think um, So he knows how to relate to an audience and still maintain the highest levels of bagpipe performance. And he knows, he knows how to get to an audience. 
have watched him do this on more than one occasion. Uh, so you're right. Uh, obviously, Angus McCall put something together that seems to join the two criteria of absolute excellence in fingerwork, phrasing, instrument, uh, repertoire, and, and presentation. He's, he's amazing, amazing. Uh, as, as were, quite frankly, there wasn't one of the 16 players that didn't, didn't really play great stuff. But I, but I think what you're saying is that, is that within the set within the set parameters, uh, the sort of the true skill of the performer can be sort of leveraged or something. Yes, I think I think that the best performers they rise to the occasion, they hit the technical and musical bullseyes, and at the same time the audience is swept along with them. So I think it could be. Uh, a misnomer to, to use the terminology, well, it's a free program, play as long as you want, play anything you want. And people think, now we're really going to hear the best from these people. I'm beginning to question that. I'm thinking the best from them comes when they have a structured uh, framework, parameters to work with, and then they put the life and, and uh, energy into it. And I think that audiences get it. I think when they hear that happening, they get it. Whether they play that three contests, Donald. That's three different no. contests now. No, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I hope that there might be consideration to going back to a structure. It would certainly make it fairer to the competitors regarding the judging, because once again, the problem currently is judging apples against oranges. I'm going to give myself one of those automatic wheelchairs, you know, I'm just going to, like, joystick my way around and just, <laughs> you know, I don't have to move. Have Make sure it's got a big drink holder. <laughs> I have an idea. I have a proposal. I have an idea. Not, not that I've ever been to the Metric Cup, so I, I hope that people disregard this idea because I'm clearly unqualified. But here's an idea, and it's kind of going based off, I, I like um, what Mike just said, you know, you could specify recital performance, you know, uh, to go for the, you know, basically the audience, you know, uh, appreciation type thing, set performance. What if you did this, Donald, and maybe you could uh, speak to this. What if you said, and I know as a performer, I would, I think I would prefer this format, which would be, why don't we make recitals out of three criteria? Um, P-Brock, uh, uh, traditional MSR, to be judged in the traditional way, and then the third um, the third one would be recital format where reckless abandon and, you know, that sort of uh, crowd-o-meter type performance would be, you know, that would be the objective of the third thing. And then you can have just like a recital where, you know, it, where it's judged, each element is judged. I would, I, would say, I, would, I, would, I would say that back in the earlier days of the Metro Cup, there was an audience component. And uh, this was before... Eric had sort of conceived of his You Be the Judge event, which happens at the Saffron United Hall around the same time, which I think is a Saturday now. And, uh, you know, essentially it's it's up to the crowd to judge the performance and choose their favorites and whatnot. And once upon a time there was a, there was an audience component of that. And so it was like, a, you know, you check the box of who you liked. And at the time, this is when Seamus Coyne was sort of, you know, and his razzmatazz was out there and on, on the floor, and he would just sort of go nuts with Mason's apron and, like, you know, whacking his fingers, taking his hands off the channer and whatnot. And uh, 
you know, that that gets the crowd loves that crap. <laughs> you know, sure, sure, like, sure, you sure. can't get enough of it. You know, sure. and it's uh, so inevitably he would win. You know, with with the with the most flashiest kind of performance he could possibly get, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, you know, what Andrew's saying is like you have to you have to sort of separate the two. And what you're saying is you separate the two different things. You have a sort of set parameters as well as sort of this, you know, standing on your head. And Stewart's done the same thing, right? You know, years ago he used to do the same thing. He used to you know you know, squeeze the holes on his channers while he's playing and mimic Ilium pi pipes and stuff like that. So, you know, it sort of leaves itself open for that kind of uh, silliness. You know, which... it, it's it's silliness, but it's genius as well. <laughs> it's In addition to being silly, it is brilliant. And why shouldn't that side of piping be given its space? Um, why shouldn't people go out on the edge the way... Seamus Coyne went out on the edge, and the way uh, Stewart goes out on the edge, and even in his own way, in his own day, John Burgess used to flip his hands around in the middle of a heavy march. And, you know, that audiences love the playfulness of that, and why shouldn't it be there? You know, why shouldn't it be there? Um, so I, I, I think there's something to be said for the appropriate playing for the appropriate situation. I wouldn't want to go to the former winners, Marcia Bay and Real Inverness, and hear people bending notes and doing slides and in the middle of Abercarney Highlanders. I, I wouldn't enjoy that. But I'd love to hear Abercarney Highlanders turned into a wild and crazy hornpipe at a Cayley or at a session just for the fun of it. You know, so it's just the right thing at the right time in the right place. And they all, as one musicologist once said to me, she said, uh, I think... There's room for everything under the sun. And I agree with that comment. You know, I think all these, I think it's an art form to be able to sit down like Stewart and play the Laird of Drum Blair with a low F, you know, and keep throwing them in. I, I think it's an art form. Uh, but of course, Stewart, when it comes to the former winners, Marcia Spay and Real, he's focusing on that element of piping. And when he's playing Peabuck, he's focusing on that element. And, so that says to me, there's diversity in art, and this person is a master of more than one medium. Right. And so, Andrew, uh, your idea is a good one. Uh, something came up which may seem unrelated, but I think it is related, about more freedom in band presentation. And people use the word free, freedom. But, you know, there is a venue for that. The venue is the concert hall. As, as we have observed from St. Lawrence O'Toole and Scottish Power, they have ventured into some incredibly creative areas in their performance. And the concert hall remains a wait, a waiting for people to move forward and uh, innovate. Yeah, I, I, I would, I, I would like, love to see like that idea expanded. Like, you know, you're thinking, you know, we're so focused on competition. I mean, the Metro Cup really is sort of a recital type format. So why not treat it as such? So yeah. the players can come out and play an MSR, which is done in, what, four minutes, five yeah. minutes, and then tune some more and then go on and do something else, you know, for yes. seven minutes. Yes. Um, while they're out there, you know, that's their turn. You know, they play their solid MSR. Um everybody get everybody sort of all traditional and 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 ready and waiting for the next thing which is going to be some sort of free form thing maybe i would only inject this thought that sometimes preparing for peabock uh, is like getting ready to go to piper's church 
And sometimes playing in Peabark is like being in church. And sometimes you need a little breather before you go to the pub. Maybe at least a minute. <laughs> so being the kitchen music. Is the, is the body of Angus Mackay? <laughs> but there's probably a lot of uh, church folk out there in the audience, and I don't want to start World War III, so I'm going to beg off on that question. <laughs> but... Uh, it is, uh, Again, I will interject and say I had no part of this, right? <laughs> uh, here at the Dojo, we have we have given you a platform to express yourself freely, and this this is what such radicals as Vincent Janowski and uh, Donald <laughs> F. Lindsay have chosen to talk about. <laughs> uh, uh, so the comments expressed here are not necessarily those of the Dojo. <laughs> <laughs> it's smart, uh, smart Andrew. You've you got to keep covering those bases. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, thank everyone for putting up with me. I appreciate being asked to participate. I, I, I have a thing I have to go and do at the moment. Another obligation I have, but um, I want to just say that uh, this Metro Cup actually is, has long been and continues to be one of the most important events for all of us in the Eastern United States in regard to yeah. this is a place where some of the top talent in the world will come and they will play and people have an opportunity to learn, listen and learn from that. And so um, anything folks out there can do to support the effort, I think is, is a good thing. And uh, who knows where the light music is going to go from here. But uh, I've, I've gone out on a limb, expressed my views, but I, I, I must absolutely say that the PBRC was phenomenal, phenomenal. I, what I've always used this has been my, mid, my midwinter jolt, you know, of good live piping to sort of like propel me into the, into the coming year, you know, and I missed it, and now I have to find something else, I guess. Well, we're, we're lucky to have it. We're lucky to have it. And it, it's, I think, in many ways, it's a little bit on the cutting edge for how piping can be presented in a way to uh, interest audiences. The audience was stunning. The number of people that were there, completely into it, uh, they sat for long periods of time, but they were really following everything very closely. That's pretty impressive to see, yeah. to it's, see that. It really is. A, it is a, sort of a moment, especially in the New York metro areas. You know, very, I mean, the whole purpose really behind it was to really get uh, the highest level performance you could possibly get within reach, you know, within reach yep. of people who will may, may never leave the, the area and never make it to Scotland or never yep. make it, you know, out and about to the games in Canada or whatnot. And um, to bring that there and, and have it there for everyone to see, you know, as well as, you know, offer the chance for, you know, some of the, some of the better players in, in the area to compete against them on the same stage, you know. Absolutely. It's really just sort of a, a propping up of everything for everybody, you know. Maybe there's always one last thought. One of the things I admire about the organization of this is that our best players are not being shielded or protected from the world players, the top ones in the world. They're being exposed, as you just said, Vince, to really the top players in the world. That's how our piping is going to get better. So I'm not a believer in insulating our players from that kind of exposure, but, but challenging them with that kind of exposure. That's how we're going to get better. Yeah. I believe that. So um, kudos to 
to the Metro Cup crew for what they do. And I'm going to fade into the digital mists of time. And I want to thank Andrew, Carl, Vince, all of you for having me on today. I was glad to be able to say some words about the event. Oh, thank, you. thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Donald. Okay, right. So, Donald, My... are, you available for, are you available for Skype lessons or anything like that if people want to learn from you? Absolutely. And uh, I was thinking a lot about that just the other day. You know, not everyone I teach is uh, a high-level player. I do have the privilege of working with some very high-level players, but I also have pupils, the youngest pupil I'm teaching online is about 14 years old, but the oldest pupils, I have a couple of 80-year-olds that are fantastic students. They, they really sincerely want to become better pipers, and they really work between lessons. So I enjoy teaching anyone who's really honestly enthusiastic, and I'm not real fussy about whether they're going to be winning the clasp next year or not. Um, so I'm, I'm, and it's easy to get to me, just Donald Lindsay, comma, Piper, uh, on Google, and it'll take it to the website. So, and I teach at the dojo, and I love doing it. I do a, what started out as an introduction to PIVA class, but it's getting kind of sophisticated in terms of the material we're doing now. Uh, and then there's a, a march through the Peabrook Society collection where we're going through all the books tune by tune. And that's from the Piper's Dojo, and that's on Monday nights, and it's in the archives. So yes. I'm very, I'm happy to be doing all that. Yeah, so I, I, I think I put uh, Donald's website up there. So, uh, you know, Donald's a great PBOC teacher, and uh, um, everyone should check out his site if they're interested in touching up their tunes. Thank you for mentioning it, Andrew. I appreciate it. So I wish you all a good day, and I'm off to the salt mines. <laughs> Bye for now, fellas. Bye for now. Right, Bye, Bye for now. Okay. Oh, he, he is quite a controversial fellow, that Donald Lindsay. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I know. You wait till he leaves to say that? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I told it to him. I told it to him. Man, he's just, he's just wild and crazy. Uh, it was neat to hear his thoughts. Yes, it was indeed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did. Well, I see. I see no reason why we shouldn't also call this in and wrap it up. Um, that was a really cool little session we had with Donald there, and uh, we will be back on next week, um, and we'll be discussing something on the really awesome side of things. Something awesome. Yeah, on the on the awesome to not awesome uh, continuum, we'll be on the awesome uh, side uh, for next week. So, great. Well, thank you everybody for coming. Let us know if you have any questions. You can always um, go to dojouniversity.com to contact us about anything. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for today. All right. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>